Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, April 27th, 2010. I feel like today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, from a production point of view, has a lot of moving parts. That always makes me nervous, because uh, when you have a lot of moving parts, the chances that one of those moving parts will misbehave and not do what it's supposed to, yeah, think of this as a theological Ruth Goldberg um, machine. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. These are perilous times. There's a lot of people saying things about God from Christian pulpits that they ought not to be saying because those things... Well, they're not actually taught in the scriptures, and as a result of it, uh, you got to be careful. You have to do work, the work of a Berean, and you need to compare what people are saying uh, to God's word. And if it doesn't jive, you need to hold them accountable. And if they won't be held accountable, you might end up having to leave your church. And so, from time to time, I warn people that listening to this program may in fact cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church and may lead you on a quest to go and find a pastor who will actually preach God's word and preach the gospel to you, to tell you Sunday after Sunday of the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of your sins and is calling you to repentance and the forgiveness of those sins. Really, that's the message that we've been given by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And uh, too many people have, uh, well, thought that they need to help Jesus out. You know, give him a a PR, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, uh, what do they do that when when they take somebody and, and you know, give him a, you know, a complete makeover. There we go. We need to give Jesus a, a, a PR makeover, you know, because we got to make Jesus relevant so the people will like him and come to church and hear about him. And Jesus is not interested in you giving him a PR makeover or your pastor giving him a PR makeover. The, the, your pastor has a job given by God to the pastor in Scripture, and that's to preach the word, preach and teach sound doctrine, and you know, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And if he's uh, too busy thinking that he's out there helping Jesus and giving Jesus a PR makeover, 
uh, he's not doing Jesus any favors, and in reality, he's not doing you any favors either. So that's one of the things we talk about here at Fighting for the Faith. And if you've listened to this program for any length of time, then you realize that uh, <clears throat> that I am either the most a skilled dumpster diver for Jesus, or maybe the uh, garbage is just piling up now. In fact, I'll, I'll be blunt. I've been uh, uh, doing this program now for almost two years, and I've been blogging about this stuff, boy, a lot longer than that, Uh, add another four to five years on top of that. And when I first started noticing the problem and started blogging about it, I had to hunt a little bit uh, to find things to talk about or things to say, wait a second, this isn't wrong, this isn't right, We uh, we, we need to address these things. And uh, now I can't keep up. I, <laughs> I found this great by, – by the way, there's a website out there. If you, if you like doing research and, and from time to time you want to be able to – you know, uh, you, don't, you, you find an article that you want to read, but you, ha- you can't read it now. You want to read it later. I found a great app. It's called uh, Instapaper, and I use it on my iPhone as well as the, uh, as well as the Internet. And you can go to instapaper.com. It's a free thing, and there's a little widget that you can uh, put in your blog bar. Uh, your blog toolbar, and it allows you to flag things for reading later. It, it's a complete lifesaver. But uh, just uh, the reason I mention Instapaper is because I've been using it now for a couple of weeks, and um, literally I have about 50 articles, 50 news articles that I could potentially do a segment on on uh, Fighting for the Faith, and I, I, I can't get to them all. I, in fact, we're going to get to it. Well, yeah. So I kind of triage, if you would, and I keep stuff in the background, and and I'm afraid that my uh, the the articles I could talk about are, are going to end up becoming like my uh, my uh, my sermon library. I've got over a how many sermons do I have to yeah eleven hundred and eighty five now uh, that I need to listen to. Um, th- those are just the ones I haven't listened to or previewed. So, and you'll find out that I have an axe to grind. <clears throat> oh, I have an agenda. Absolutely have an agenda. And that agenda is sound biblical doctrine, correctly preaching and teaching God's word, and uh, focusing people in on Christ and him crucified for your sins rather than me. Uh, so if you, yeah, that's my agenda. So if you listen to this program for any length of time, you're going to hear a lot, a lot about Jesus. You're going to hear a lot of scripture in context, and many times you're going to hear that scripture in context against uh, people ripping the, those uh, passages out of context. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of new listeners that uh, that listen to the program. And so uh, consider this just kind of a friendly reminder, a primer, if you would, as to what to expect while listening to this program. Okay, let's um, take a look at what's on deck for today's program. Uh, and I'm hoping to get to all of this. Uh, last week there were stories I just didn't get to, and I'm not even sure how I'm going to weave them back in, but that's just another story. Uh, and by the way, I need to remind you all, this week is a uh, is a short week. I w- am, I'm traveling out of town at the end of the week uh, to attend an emergent conference, and if you ask why, it's because if I go, then you don't have to. Anyway, if you know, the, the dead emergent movement, if it's so dead, then why are they having a big, well-attended conference? I, it's, you know, 
<clears throat> anyway, uh, t- on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, we're going to announce the winner of the worst Easter sermon of 2010. Your votes are in, and it wasn't even close. There was a clear runaway winner, and we're going to talk about that in a second here. And uh, and then we've got uh, I got a, a Christianity a Christian Post article. Uh, Kay Warren, the wife of uh, Rick Warren. Uh, the headline says, Kay Warren questions the Christianity of persons who neglect orphans. In other words, you're not a Christian if you don't um, tend to orphans. So, um, And then Ed Young Jr., uh, well, there's been another investigative uh, report from uh, Brett Shipp down there at uh, in Texas at WFAA. And, uh, yeah, boy, I tell you, we're going to listen to this audio of this story. And uh, what you realize is, is that... Uh, I hate to say it, but um, Ed Young Jr. has been less than truthful with his congregation, and it's time for the folks down there at Fellowship Church to um, uh, offer uh, Ed some assistance by way of some true transparent accountability. There's just some shenanigans going on there, and uh, uh, Brett Shipp will be listening to his investigative report that aired last night down in Texas. And then uh, Patricia King, uh, uh, she's you know the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, she's going to be talking about overcoming demonic strategies, while Brian McLaren and Philip Clayton, um, are who are progressive, uh, who are big tent progressives, are going to talk about big tent Christianity. And um, and then our sermon review today. Um, have you all here heard that Marty Python uh, Flying Circus Church thing where we? talk about it's called the dead sermon sketch and in there we talk about the midget cannon and expansion pack um you know the, the the idea here is is that um people will do uh these purpose-driven guys will do anything to uh, uh attract a crowd well um this one comes dangerously close to that. Um, I, I, Carrie Shook of Fellowship of the Woodlands down in Houston, Texas, um, uh, he, uh, he's he got a sermon that we're going to be reviewing called Courage and Fear. And uh, he preaches half the sermon, and the other half of the sermon is preached by Tino uh, Walenda of the Flying Walendas. Uh, he, uh, the Flying Walendas is a tightrope walking family, and... Um, I kid you not, uh, Tino Walenda is uh, demonstrating his tightrope walking skills and, uh, and, and sh- well, performing for the crowd during the sermon. Uh, this is the closest I've seen a pastor actually coming to using the Midget Cannon expansion pack. However, I do expect that within the next 12 months, there will be a purpose-driven pastor who will hire um, a uh, you know a human cannon company uh, that will that does fire midgets from their cannons and will hire them uh, to uh, basically be the crescendo the, uh, the 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 grand finale of of a big circus sermon and uh, I envision that when this eventually does happen that the pastor will have the eighteen twelve overture playing during the purpose driven sermon uh, and you know at just the right point where the cannons go off dun 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 
phone. That um, that that what will happen is is that there will be midgets, you know, being shot from cannons across the congregation, and they'll be fl- literally flying over the uh, the audience during uh, the sermon. I, that's what I envisioned to happen someday soon. And I'll tell you, you know, um, uh, uh, got to give credit to uh, you know where credits due here. Um, Carrie Shook of Fellowship of the Woodlands has come the closest of the purpose-driven pastors to uh, actually uh, fully implement the Midget Canon expansion packs. And so we'll be listening to his sermon entitled Courage and Fear that he shares uh, with uh, Tina Walenda of the Flying Walendas. You, you can't parody Christianity anymore. You just, I mean, uh, man, I'm telling you. Just give it time. Somebody will be firing midgets from cannons during a church service. I, I, you know, don't bet against me. I've been doing this for way too long. Uh, oh, man. Anyway, uh, so uh, let's uh, move along here in our business for today. And uh, our first uh, segment here, it's, we need to announce the... Um, the winner of the uh, worst Easter sermon of 2010. Uh, you know, the week after Easter, we had seven contestants, and uh, to help us out with uh, the uh, worst Easter sermon of 2010, I have hired the services of a gentleman by the name of Carbonco, uh, and he is part of a group called Shofar Shofar Mania. Uh, if you don't know what a shofar is, it's it's um, you know basically it's a ram's horn. Uh, and uh, it's you know a Hebrew thing mentioned in in the Old Testament scriptures, and I, I thought that shofar trumpet fanfare would be really appropriate. And so, um, uh, Carbonco, are you ready uh, with your uh, shofar trumpet fanfare? Yeah. All right, let's go. <laughs> Um, uh, listen, uh, Cabarco, listen, um, yeah, you think you could do a better job than that? Um, that didn't quite have the intended effect that I had hoped for. Um, they did tell me that one of the things you're capable of doing is, um, uh, blowing two shofars at the same time. Maybe you can do that. So here, <clears throat> here is Carbonco of Shofar Mania blowing two shofars at the same time to give us the trumpet fanfare to announce the winner of the 2010 uh, worst Easter sermon. Uh, uh, oh, you know, well, here, here's Carbonco. Stop, 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 stop. No, no, no. Listen, Carbonco, I'm paying you good money uh, for you to um, do this shofar trumpet fanfare. Again, let's let's go back to one. Let's go back to one shofar. And uh, all right, let's try this again. Announcing the winner of the worst Easter sermon of 2010. Much better.
There you go. That's Carbonco from Shofar Mania. Thank you very much. That was a lot longer than I'd hoped. <sighs> well, you know, Shofar is, you know, I think appropriate when we're announcing the winner of the worst Easter sermon of 2010. All right. So here we go. Uh, by order of like, you know, okay, we our contestants, by the way, were uh, Tom Skiles. Uh, he preached the Avatar sermon, Rob Bell and his sermon, Resurrection. Uh, Brian, I pronounced his word Bloyer, but somebody sent me an email and said it's pronounced boy. I don't do very well with those, um, alternative foreign, um, uh, anyway, you got what I'm saying. Uh, so, uh, Brian boy, uh, what Easter's got, what's Easter going to do with it? Uh, Rick Nelson, the napkin, uh, we got Mark Handley Andrus, uh, incorporeal, Nathan LaGrange in Unashamed, and David Ashcraft more than this. Now, uh, here's how the voting uh, panned out. Uh, receiving only 4% of the vote and coming in seventh place. Uh, that would be Brian Boy. Uh, what's Easter got to do with him? And then behind him, it's a tie. Well, actually, not. it's not an official tie. Uh, it, 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 Percentage-wise, it's a tie, but not vote-wise. Uh, coming in sixth place is uh, Mark Hanley Andrus in Incorporeal. In uh, fifth place is Nathan LaGrange, Unashamed. In uh, fourth place is uh, Rick Nelson, The Napkin. In third place is David Ashcraft in More Than This. In second place, with with only eighteen percent of the vote, by the way, with only eight, eight, second place, eighteen percent of the vote, uh, vote, Tom Skiles and his Avatar sermon, and then once and for all, the 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 winner of this year's uh, worst Easter sermon of two thousand and ten, uh, with a with forty two percent of all the votes cast, is well, Rob Bell. In his resurrection sermon. So, congratulations to Rob Bell, Mars Hill Bible Church. Uh, con- great job. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, now that you've won uh, this year, that, you know, we'll have to keep an eye out to see if um, if you uh, your sermon qualifies next year for the worst Easter sermon of uh, 2011. We will be, uh, you know, Lord willing, shouldn't, you know, you know we, we'll st- we're still here and Christ hasn't returned. Uh, we will be uh, repeating this little episode, although we're kind of hoping that the folks over at Mars Hill Bible Church will uh, give Shane Hips the uh, the pulpit on uh, Easter Sunday because, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's almost a guaranteed uh, you know win, a two-year win in a row for uh, Mars Hill Bible Church if uh, they have Shane Hips uh, preach their Easter sermon next year. So there you go. That's our, our winner for the uh, 2010 Worst Easter sermon. Yeah, there, there you go. All right, moving along here. Um, from the Christian Post, headline reads, K. Warren questions Christianity of persons who neglect orphans. Uh, you could reread that if you wanted to as uh, if you are, if you neglect orphans, uh, K. Warren says you're not a Christian. This is by Lillian Kwan of the uh, Christian Post. We read, uh, don't call yourself a believer if you're not caring for orphans, said Kay Warren. Now, just right off the bat, don't call yourself a believer if you're not caring for orphans, said Kay Warren. So, um, got a question for you. Thief on the cross. 
You know, remember, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One was hurling insults at him. The other one, you know, rebuked the one who was hurling insults and says to Jesus, you know, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, you know, I, I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. So now here's the question I have. I mean, um, how many orphans did the thief on the cross uh, tend and care for uh, before his ultimate demise there? I mean, because uh, you can't call yourself a believer if you're not caring for orphans. In other words, I mean, th- literally, when you talk like this, you're basically making it sound like uh, that you believe that Christianity is a religion of works. If you don't, um, y- that your salvation depends upon your works. In this particular case, uh, Kay Warren is making the claim that you can't call yourself a believer if you're not caring for orphans. Now, l- stay with the story because there's kind of an interesting thing, a twist at the end. Um, let's see, quote, if we're doing little to nothing, how dare we? How dare we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, she said on Friday at the Catalyst West uh, conference. Uh, followers of Jesus Christ care about widows and orphans, and they understand that it's a litmus test. Really, where in the Bible does it say that if you don't care for orphans, that that's a litmus test? And she says, it's not an option. So you don't have an option. If you're not caring for orphans and widows, well, then you're not a Christian. It's just not an option. Now, notice the hardline language here. These weighty words were delivered to thousands of church and ministry leaders on the final day of Catalyst West, a three-day conference designed to challenge leaders to be change agents in the culture. Change agents, huh? What about being, you know, proclaiming... Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. How about gospel preachers or uh, sound doctrine disciplers? Um, No, Jesus didn't call us to be change agents, by the way. Uh, Stripping the leaders uh, gathered in Orange County, California, of their excuses, uh, Kay Warren said caring for orphans is not just for infertile couples or middle-aged folks who have a little discretionary money and time. It has nothing to do with personality. It has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. It has nothing to do with economic status. It has nothing to do with your season in life. She stressed it has to do with accepting responsibility that God will one day hold us accountable. Now, so here's the here's the question I have. Um, if you are an orphan and you are also a Christian, um, how are, are you also responsible to care for other orphans in order to be saved? Uh, should we question the Christianity of orphans who are not caring for other orphans. Moving along, and it's not just a matter of personal responsibility either, she indicated. There's a theological reason all Christians are to do something to help vulnerable children. Warren highlighted what our Heavenly Father does for us spiritually, he expects expects us to do physically. Mm -hmm. Uh, What God did was not only save sinners, but also bring them into his family. Uh Uh-huh. You and I were all spiritual orphans, she said. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we're not just cleared of the guilt of our sin. We belong in God's family. He has taken us and made us part of himself. Uh, we're not just cleared of our guilt and sin. Let me read that statement again. We're not just cleared of our guilt and sin. Uh huh. Okay. That really sounds to me like uh, she's kind of putting down the whole forgiveness of sins things and justification by grace through faith. And adding into it her own imagined works righteousness. And if you're not caring for orphans and widows, well, then you're not really a believer. 
This is salvation by works. Yeah, I mean, what, what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him and cares for orphans and widows will not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> there's, hang on, there's kind of a twist in the story. Uh, quote, now he shares with me everything that he has, everything that belonged to Jesus belongs to us. And uh, hang on a second here. And while Christians have a spiritual home, there are 143 million children around the world who don't even have a physical home. Yet many believers likely are unable to name the names of five orphans, uh, Warren noted. Uh, And she said, this is sinful. Uh, Which part is sinful? Not being able to name the names of five orphans or uh, which part is the sinful part? Where does it say it's a sin if you don't know the names of five orphans? Or it's it's a sin if you don't personally care for an orphan? Warren drilled into the thousands of Christians gathered that caring for orphans is not just one of many things that they should be doing. Quote, when you understand the theology of it, you will not be able to push it away. You will not be able to put it on the back burner, she said. You need to understand that adoption represents the heart of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The orphan advocate clarified that the Bible isn't necessarily calling everyone, every person to adopt a child. Well, wait a second here. What's all this talk of it's not an option, it's mandatory, and you're questioning the Christianity of those who are not caring for orphans, and now she's kind of waffling here. But it's not necessarily calling everyone to adopt. After all, she and her husband, renowned Pastor Rick Warren, have not adopted an orphan, she noted. Um, Kay, it's not an option. You're not a Christian then. By your own words, I have to question your Christianity. I, seriously. I mean, uh, if you and Pastor Rick have not personally adopted an orphan and are not personally caring for an orphan um hey using your own words it's not an option and um i have to well now i have to question whether or not you're truly a christian yeah so there you go you just can't make stuff up anymore i mean seriously We're up on our uh, first break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look. Mate, I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package, sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. 
That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. If you think that you're not a Christian unless you're serving the poor or orphans, then you probably aren't a Christian. Because you're trying to save yourself by your works. All right, hold on a second here. Normally, this is a place where I tell you that you can support us financially. However, I've got to do something a little bit different today. Uh, from time to time, we get new advertisers here at uh, Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio and uh, I'm excited about this new uh, this new advertiser so much so that I wanted to personally introduce you to this advertiser. Uh, the name of the advertiser is Cloud Nine Living. It, it sounds kind of a funny name, but think of it this way: um, Mother's Day is coming up, Father's Day is coming up, graduations are coming up, birthdays are, are coming up. And Cloud9 Living has probably what I would consider to be some of the most amazingly creative gifts that you can possibly give to another human being. It kind of works off of the, it's, well, I know I talk down experiences all the time. We're kind of, you know, as a culture, we're addicted to experiences. That's kind of their niche. But let me explain to you some of the ideas of of things that you could purchase as gifts for somebody else. Just, I mean, it, 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 oh man, uh, do you have somebody who's always wanted to drive a, uh, you know, a NASCAR stock car on an oval? Well, you can do it. You can actually give somebody the gift of uh, a stock car ride along, or you can, you know, if you have the, the the funds, you can actually have them drive a stock car themselves solo. You, there's hot air balloon trips. There's acrobatic thrill rides you want to go for an airplane ride how about in an acrobatic airplane uh you want to do a tandem skydive that's available there they've got uh things for oh here we go an indie car ride along have you ever wanted to know what it's like to fly down the the track at 200 miles an hour in an indie car they've actually got that's available for you to purchase as a gift for somebody else and i'm telling you these gifts are more uh, reasonably priced than you would uh, likely expect. Um, uh, they got fly fishing. Th- you, can, you can fly in a Texas warbird. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, these scuba diving things, romantic uh, dinner cruises. Uh, there's even a paintball adventure. Just I mean, and it, it, one of the things they also offer is uh, you can spend uh, half an afternoon 
in uh, in aerial fighter combat. I I'm not joking. And so th- this is one of those um, rare uh, um, how do I put it? Rare advertisers that comes along that makes you go, okay, now I could either you know when it, when Mother's Day comes, I could give out the normal gift that I do, send flowers, or I could you know, really give a cool gift like this. So if you're looking for some creative gifts that are different, then Cloud9 Living is the thing for you. And they're an advertiser with us at uh, Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And the way you uh, get to their website is that you need to follow this route so that uh, we get credit for it, is you go to uh, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. That's right, piratechristianradio.com forward slash uh, cloud nine and you can either spell it out or write it out it doesn't matter you'll you'll and you'll be taken to a page and then you'll you'll see a web banner with uh, uh, you know pictures of people dog fighting uh, civilians doing uh, aerial combat and that's just all kinds of cool click on the uh, ad banner there and you'll be taken to their website but uh, this if you're looking for some creative gifts you know, the cloud nine is probably the thing for you just so I wanted to introduce you to them before we put their advertisement into our normal rotation just because I'm kind of excited about uh, these guys all right uh, now for me to remind you that fighting for the faith is listener supported radio you can pay uh, you can partner with us by visiting our website fightingforthefaith.com we have two buttons there one says join our crew the other says donate. And when you join our crew, you're uh, signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 a month to Fighting for the Faith. Or you can uh, choose the amount that you would like to uh, to send to us by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your uh, gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Hang on a second here. Now i got to check my program notes. Okay, moving along. Ed Young Jr. Um, yeah, they've um, Brett Ship over at WFAA uh, Television in uh, in Dallas, Texas, Dallas Fort Worth. Um, they've he's done a follow up um, uh, to the uh, original story that was covered three months ago, where that where it was revealed that Ed Young Jr. is leasing a, well leasing a private jet. Uh, an $8 million airplane, and we've talked about how much it costs to maintain and run one of those things. Well, uh, Brett Ship has um, uh, decided that he's going to do some investigative reporting to follow up on some of the claims made by Ed Young in that explanat- explanatory um, service that he, the dog and pony show that he and two of his board of directors had. Um, here's uh, Here's the news story from WFAA. Well, he told his congregation he had nothing to hide. He insists a News 8 investigation about his lifestyle was wrong. But Ed Young, the pastor at Fellowship Church in Grapevine, may soon have to answer. Numerous trips by the leased church jet to resort locations, travel costing tens of thousands of dollars per trip. News 8's Brett Schiff joins us now. He's got some new information about the use of that jet. That's right, John. Three months ago, we first reported on the lifestyle of Fellowship Church Pastor Ed Young. We revealed the existence of a private church jet and a complex network of private businesses. For months, we have requested interviews with Pastor Young. Each time, we have been referred to a New York public relations firm. Yet they have declined to answer simple questions, such as... Who uses the church jet and for what? So we did a little digging of our own, and tonight, News 8 investigates. 
Fellowship Church, located in Grapevine, has thousands of members on five campuses. Pastor Ed Young says his church and travels have allowed him to minister to more than a quarter million people. But Young may be best known for this. Sex is like pizza. His 2008 sermon urging married couples to have seven days of sex. So sensational, he made guest appearances on several network programs, including Comedy Central. The church, we've been quiet about sex and something that God has not been quiet about. So I think Christians... You're not doing it right then. Yeah, it's true. Irving <laughs> is somewhat less eager to talk about this. A News 8 investigation into his fellowship church's leasing of an $8 million Dassault Falcon 50 private jet, which the church keeps at a hangar at Alliance Airport. While Young is not legally or professionally obligated to disclose anything to his congregants, he did respond to our report about his travel. And this year I'm flying commercially like a mad dog to places all over the world. I also have chartered planes. Then last on his list of preferred air travel, something he had not disclosed to his congregation until after our story. We also lease private aircraft. According to the New York public relations firm hired by Young, the plane used by Pastor Young is used primarily for vital ministry affairs. This plane has allowed Pastor Young access to minister to more than a quarter of a million people who he otherwise would not have been able to reach. But Okay, now, by the way, that little, that was a quote. The plane used by Pastor Young is used primarily for vital ministry affairs. This is what uh, Ed Young's PR guy, <laughs> attack dog, Ron Tarashian. This guy, Ron Tarashian has a just... Uh, you don't you go you don't go to Ron Tarashian unless you have a uh, an image problem that you need fixed. He's basically known in the industry for the person you know he's he's the master of spin. And uh, I I've heard and I haven't been able to confirm this though that uh, Benny Hinn from time to time has used Ron Tarashian. And so I mean it just anyway you get the point so but the point is is that the plane used by pastor young according to tarashian is primarily used for vital ministry affairs the plane has allowed pastor young access to minister to more than a quarter of a million people he wouldn't have otherwise been able to okay so what, according to uh, the pr firm what's the jet used for vital ministry affairs well let's uh, find out what brett ship uncovered FAA flight logs obtained by News 8 tell a more detailed story. Using dates, times, and destinations dating back to March 2007 when the jet was acquired, we plotted the trips on a monthly calendar. Shaded in green are the days of the month the church jet was being used, presumably by Young. 416 days in less than three years. Yeah, with places like the Bahamas, Cabo San Lucas. How much ministry do you think they're doing in the Bahamas? Many of those days, 150 of them, the jet was parked at an airport in Miami where Young has a branch of his fellowship church. But as we found out a few Sundays ago, Young and his associates regularly minister to the Miami congregation via satellite signal beamed to their church from the fellowship church in Grapevine. The question is, of those 150 days the jet was in Miami, how often was Young on the jet and how often was he actually serving his congregation? 
According to the New York public relations firm, Pastor Young is personally very active at his Miami campus. He often returns week after week to lead sermons. That's just bogus. He doesn't lead the sermons in Miami. Listen to this. All of those trips to Miami, all of those days in Southern Florida. And while his church is only open one day a week, there is one place belonging to Young that is open 24-7. Specifically, a condominium which Young makes passing reference to in this address to his congregation. Um, I have a condo. I have a condo. It's not paid for either, but I have invested in a condo. I have that. And this is it, Young's condo. A gated 2,600-square-foot oceanfront condominium in Coconut Grove, Florida, which he bought in 2007 for $1.1 million. From his 16th-floor oceanfront balcony, a spectacular view of the Dinner Key Marina, the largest marina in Florida. Also of interest to Young in South Florida, one of his admitted passions. Florida Keys, epic day. Uh, you can't see this, but it's it's fishing. He he is a <clears throat> an addicted angler, if you would. The tarpon. That's what it's all about. Woo! Yes, sir, baby. Congratulations. What's this one? In addition to the trips to Miami, the church jet took Young on a five-day trip to Cabo San Lucas, where fishing was on the menu for him and his attorney, Dennis Brewer. You know the rooster fish swims here. You know what the rooster fish is? Man, I know you're on some fishing. We asked the church for a list of its ministries. None was located in Cabo San Lucas. Add to that six trips by the church jet to the Bahamas, one to Anguilla, one to Belize, one to England. Again, six, seven, eight, nine trips. Vital ministry affairs, uh, six trips to the Bahamas, one to Belize, one to Anguilla, one to the U.K. Vital ministry needs, yeah. When we asked for a list of foreign ministries, none of those countries was mentioned. The church jet also made several shorter trips to his hometown of Houston, to Austin, and to Gainesville. The Ten trips to Tyler, one trip to Gainesville, one trip to Austin, nine trips to Houston. Jet made ten trips to Tyler, just 100 miles away, where the church maintains a lodge and retreat. There were multiple trips to New York, at least two coinciding with his network appearances. Air travel usually paid for by the networks themselves. We talk about those priorities versus the commitment. Yeah, he appeared on the Today Show and he appeared on the Colbert Report. And uh, listen, if, if the Today Show calls you up and they say, Pastor so-and-so, We'd like you to appear on the Today Show. Can you come to New York tomorrow or the day after? And you say, yeah, sure, I'd be on the Today Show in a, heart, in a heartbeat. You know what they'd do? They would book your flight for you and pay for your trip. The Colbert Report. If you're going to appear on Colbert's program, Colbert is going to pay for you to come out and appear on his show. Oh, uh, but Ed Young, no, 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 don't worry about paying for me. I've got my private ministry jet. 
It's because so often they, they don't really sync up. Again, Young and the church have declined to answer questions about the jet's use and its cost to the congregation. According to Blue Star Jet Chartering Service, it costs $15,000 to charter a similar jet round trip from Alliance Airport to Tyler. From Alliance to Cabo San Lucas, $35,000. $35,000 to fly a private jet from Dallas-Fort Worth to Cabo San Lucas. From a and there's no ministry going on there in Cabo. Alliance to New York, $50,000. And from Alliance Airport to Miami, $42,000. Multiply that by the 50 times the church jet has flown to Miami and let Okay, $42,000 every time Ed Young gets on his private jet and flies to Miami. And he's not preaching there in Miami because the sermons are piped in via satellite to Miami. He's traveling to his condo in Miami. And in, in the past few years, he's done it 50 times, and each trip costs. $42,000 for a whopping total of over the last three years, $2.1 million that the church has paid for Ed Young to travel to Miami. Less than three years, the cost of those trips alone would amount to $2.1 million. The lingering question, who picks up the tab for any personal travel and our fellowship church congregants unknowingly paying the price? Young says no. When I do anything personally, whether it be on, on a commercial aircraft or a charter aircraft, I always, always, always pay for it. I have teams of... So then you have receipts, Ed, uh, for the $2.1 million in travel that you chartered, uh, you know, using the private jet, sorry, uh, to, uh, to travel from Dallas-Fort Worth to Miami. The 50 trips that you pay, you've, you have personally reimbursed Fellowship Church, $2.1 million, and you can actually provide us with the receipts, right? Accountants watching every single penny. Again, we have repeatedly asked to see evidence of any of those payments. We have asked to speak with Young's board of directors who approved his travel and were told no. The one thing we have been provided is a statement from the PR firm in New York, and we are providing that statement in full on our website at WFAA.com. Brett Ship, Channel 8 News. All right, so there's the latest in the uh, Ed Young Jr. Uh, fleecing the sheep. Uh, you know, basically, he's suffering from the sin of idolatry. He's made money his God. And uh, he's, he, he is in major denial. It's, it's time for the folks over at Fellowship Church to slap some real accountability on Ed Young Jr. and get to the bottom of this. Why? Because, first of all, they're being taken to the cleaners. He's lying like a rug. And secondly, this kind of behavior now is getting to the point, point where it's maligning and impugning Jesus Christ himself. Because these things are being aired not on Christian television, but it, it's on secular TV. And what's happening the, the, basically, Jesus Christ and his church are getting a black eye 
because Ed Young, an unrepentant, money-grubbing idolater, refuses to repent and be held accountable for all of this exorbitant, indefensible, extravagant living that he's uh, going through. He doesn't need a private jet. He needs accountability. That's what he really, really needs. All right, we're going to switch gears one more time. We've got two segments that are not too long here, so we'll go a little bit into the second hour before we go to our second break. And, uh, you know, we got, we got to do some Patricia King work here. Ah, yes. Patricia King, XP Media. That's right. It's time for Patricia King to give us an update. And, well, Patricia King is, well, apparently she's got some information for, you know, overcoming demonic strategies. Yeah, this is um, pretty important stuff. Uh, here, here's Patricia King. Hi there. I want to share a little bit with you today about overcoming demonic strategies. You know, Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the- Yeah, Jesus does say that. He came that we would have life and have it in abundance. And so he... Uh, out of context. Always wants you to triumph. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. Uh, Jesus always wants me to triumph. <sighs> Hang on a second here. It's, it's You know, I've got my Bible radar going off in my head going, bing, 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 bing. Something doesn't sound right here. Hang on a second here. Hebrews 11 uh, let's see here. Um, let's see. By faith, by faith. Uh-huh. By, uh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, Hebrews, um, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, she back to dad, suffered wrong. Okay, so, okay, other, okay, here we go. Uh, listen to this little segment from Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse uh, 32. Now, if you want to go back and read all of Hebrews chapter 11, it's a fantastic chapter in the scripture that talks about faith, the great heroes of the faith, the things that they did, they did by faith. Well, let me let me read this section. Patricia King basically saying that, you know, God wants us to always be the head and not the tail, to always be on top. Well, hang on a second here. Hebrews 11.32 says, well, this is what we read. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. See, that that sounds like it agrees with Patricia King right here. Uh, women receive back their dead by resurrection. Well, hang on a second here. Then things kind of go bad. Hey, uh, some were tortured. Huh? Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imp- imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Yeah, um, 
So uh, Hebrews 11 uh, starts off on this real positive, triumphant, victorious note, and then really ends on this downer, um, because basically by faith we can suffer, and we by faith we can suffer mocking, we can suffer flogging and chains and imprisonment, we can suffer being stoned, uh, we can suffer being sawn in two, we can suffer being killed by the sword, all by faith, you know. Yeah, I don't think they ever preached that. That's the abundant life that Jesus has in mind for you, by the way. Above and not beneath, and not even to give the enemy any place. And I have a scripture for you today that is going to fortify your faith. It's out of 1 Samuel 17, verse 51. It says this, Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, speaking of Goliath, and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him. And cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I like this, you know, because David took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off with it. Yeah, he did. Did you know that your enemy's sword is going to serve your purpose? Uh, really? Um, hmm, that's... Um... I've said it before, evil Knievel could not jump that chasm of logic uh, there, Patricia. Um, where does it say in the Bible that God wants me to take Satan's sword and use it against him? Uh, we as Christians are told to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of truth. That's God's word, the Bible. But we're not instructed anywhere that we're to take up the sword of Satan to use against Satan. And uh, just because... David killed Goliath with his own sword. Keep in mind, the Lord is the one who gave him victory, and the rocks had something to do with it. Can you say that? Say, my enemy's sword is going to serve my purpose. My purpose. My enemy's sword is going to serve my purpose? My purpose? Um, what about the purposes of God? Who cares about my purpose? Amen. It just turns everything around because the devil's a loser. He's a total yeah. loser. He has yeah, he's a loser. That's the way to sound like. No power. He's been disarmed. He's been defeated. He has no arms, no feet. He rolls around like a, like a nothing, you know. And the Bible says that in the end day, when the deceiver of the nations is revealed, we're going to have to squint and look at him because he's so small and say, what? So the Antichrist is going to be microscopic is what you're saying. You know, I, I'm not seeing that in the scriptures either. Hang on a second here. My, my Bible radar is going off in my head again. Bing, bing. Oh, hang on. I'm going to do a word search here. Uh, war and saints. Yeah, there's something in the uh, New Testament that comes. To, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you have your Bible, you might want to open up to uh, Revelation chapter 13. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Um <clears throat> Uh, if we'll read this in context. I, rather than uh, the man of lawlessness and the and Satan coming in and us having to pull out our magnifying glass because he's going to be so microscopic and minuscule, uh, here's what it does say. Uh, Revelation chapter 13, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's. And 
And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority, and one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war against the saints and to conquer them. Uh, um, Have you read that passage, um, Patricia? Because, you know, I just I'm not seeing that in the end times when, you know, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist appears that we're going to have to. How did you put it? Let me back this up and see if we can get you in context talking about this again. Here we go. He's been disarmed. He's been defeated. He has no arms, no feet. He rolls around like a like a nothing, you know. And the Bible says that in the end day, when the deceiver of the nations is revealed, we're going to have to squint and look at him because he's so small and say, what? Yeah, um, where are you getting that again, Patricia? Is this the one who deceived the nations? You know, we're going to stand in amazement at how little and weak and minute he is. So whatever he's doing in your life Uh right now, I want you to take his sword and, you know, see through the eye of faith, the greatness of God, the bigness of God, and see how little the devil and his assaults are against you because you are are an overcomer. Okay. Um, and on the heels of that, uh, we've got Brian McLaren and Philip Clayton. Hang on. When the moon is in the sepulchre house Come on, sing along if you know it. Yeah, I always find it interesting that when um, I play Brian McLaren or any emergent next to Patricia King, you can't tell the difference between the two of them. Here is um, Philip Clayton, a progressive uh, Christian, and um, uh, Brian McLaren talking about big tent Christianity. See if you can make heads or tails of this one. In the green space between the towns was a large tent. It was the tent into which the Lord had invited his people to come. But sadly, the people had left the big tent that he had arranged, had stood outside arguing in small groups. Many of them had ceased to come out to the field any longer and returned to their villages. And yet the Lord kept saying, Will you come? Will you come? This is the space where they can see you assembled. This is the space where they can see whom you follow whom you serve. Now, that's the voice of uh, uh, Philip uh, Clayton. Um, by the way, that what he's, I have no idea where he got what he's reading from because it ain't in the Bible. And what characterizes your life together? When we gather in a big tent, 
It's a time of revival. It's a time of excitement. It's a time of celebration. It's like a festival. So different from our little tent gatherings where we talk about each other in the other tents and we try to get some people to leave their tents and come over and join ours. Uh, something beautiful and expansive happens when we get together in the big tent. Uh, how about something apostate and heretical happens <laughs> in the big tent? I mean, I can come up with my own adjectives, too, to describe um, the big tent, because I don't, I just am not seeing big tent Christianity in, uh, in, the, uh, in the New Testament. I mean, if anything, um, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, really seemed hell-bent on uh, chopping down the big tent mentality and, and working on a small tent kind of concept. Uh, what, what were the words he used in uh, Galatians chapter 1? Oh, yeah, that's right. He said, uh, uh, <laughs> who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? Um, yeah, they, those were some of the words. But then uh, he says, even if we or an angel from heaven could come, uh, should come to you with preaching a gospel other than the one already preached, let him be eternally condemned. Yeah, see, the Apostle Paul was not really into this whole big tent Christianity thing. I mean, uh, he basically said that the uh, Judaizers, um, well, that they were damned. Yeah. And it wasn't the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who said, uh, if somebody doesn't teach sound doctrine, that you should rebuke them sharply? Uh, you might want to cross-reference uh, Titus chapters 1 and 2 there. And then you got Jesus's brother Jude, you know, talking about uh, you know the false teachers that had crept in, and um, were like Korah's rebellion, Balaam and Cain. Yeah, that, see, Jude didn't seem to be in that big tent either. And you know, Jesus himself. Come to think of it, um, hang on a second here. Um, let's see if Jesus was a big tent guy. Um, let's see here. Uh, is it Matthew 24? I think it's Matthew 24. Hang on a second here. Yeah. Uh, Jesus left the, te- Matthew 24, starting at verse one, it says, uh, Jesus left the temple was going away when his disciples uh, came to the point out to him, the building of the temple. And he answered them, you will, uh, you see all these, uh, don't you truly, I say to you, there will be no, not one left here, not one stone upon another. Uh, that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, well, tell us when all these things will happen in the sign of the uh, of your coming and the close of the age. And Jesus answered, see to it that no one uh, leads you astray, that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Um, Jesus didn't seem to be a big tent guy either because he was warning us about being deceived. Hmm. Uh, where's the big tent again in the Bible, Brian? But, Brian, there was a time when it really was impossible to assemble. Um, some of us felt that what was essential to the Lord's call was being excluded by some of the groups. Mm-hmm. And others felt that that the the progressive prophetic agenda of challenging the culture and its mores, that was being lost. And so there's mm-hmm. a long time where it felt like... Um, to be true to the Lord, one had to stand outside. I think what's behind this conference is the belief mm-hmm. that uh, that you and I share, and many of us share, that that's changed, and that mm-hmm. today it's possible for us to hold hands, to put arms around each other, and again to be the big tent of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the question. Well, yeah, the emergence would think that you know, yeah, we can, we've we have a, we can now recover the big tent. We never had a big tent, by the way. It was saying that you were recovering it is. 
you know, that's implying that somehow that's the biblical mandate. No, the biblical mandate is not a big tent. It's sound doctrine, focusing in on Christ and him crucified and casting people out who uh, who basically refuse to abide by sound doctrine. That's what the Bible calls for. Uh, but uh, here's the deal. what The emergents have gotten rid of the logical law of non-contradiction. Uh, they basically you believe that uh, truth is a plurality. It doesn't matter if two truths contradict each other. There's a plurality of truth, and both truths can be true. Are we humble enough yet? Have we seen our own failures, our own limits? Humble enough yet. So, yeah, see, if you believe in truth and the logical law of non-contradiction, you're just not humble enough yet. You, uh, you're arrogant. Have we made enough big mistakes yet? Are we humble enough yet to see that we don't have all the answers ourselves, that we actually need each other, that people... Uh, the Bible has the answers, and when your answers contradict the biblical answers, I don't need to be listening to you. I need to tell you to repent. People who've called themselves conservatives actually need some of those liberal guys that they've talked about behind their back, and vice versa. Oh, no, what do I need them for? What do I need heretics for? I, uh, you know, I need heretics like I, you know, I, like I need cancer. And that maybe the treasures that each side has cherished, uh, maybe those treasures now can be shared with one another. Uh, I, I think uh, maybe... You mean like the treasure of the penal substitutionary atonement, which you liken to uh, cosmic child abuse? Brian, you want me to share that with you? You despise that treasure. We're getting humble enough for that to happen. Brian, that's a beautiful vision. It, it, it makes joy in my heart. But I also have to admit I feel fear. I've defined yeah. myself as a Christian in terms of many cultural trappings and, and many rules that, mm. that I thought would guide me. I feel that they now bind me in some ways, that prevent me from following the way where God's spirit is moving. But it is frightening to join with people. Is it me or did Patricia King make more sense this week? Whose understanding of being disciples of Jesus Christ is different. It makes me nervous. I feel less in control. You know, I, I think I think we all feel that way, uh, Philip. I, I think two things can help us. First, remembering that we're actually trying to come to the Lord's big tent <laughs> and, and not... And where's the Lord's big tent mentioned in the scriptures again, Brian? Uh, this group's or that group's. We're, we're really trying to come to something that's bigger than all of us. Yeah. And second... If we all are coming saying that we have a lot to learn, we're not coming to fight for our agenda, but we're coming to learn together. I just think that there's a spirit there. There's something in our own heart that opens ourselves to God's spirit and to... to I just think, I just think. These are the musings of um, Brian McLaren's theological ego. Um and he calls himself humble, and yet he's exalted his ego's ideas above Scripture. Isn't that arrogance? The miraculous uh, touch of grace. I think this might be one of those kairos moments, those moments which divide time, where something new begins to be born in our midst. And I have a feeling that baggage that parts of the American church has carried for 100 years or more now mm. is not something we have to carry any longer. I feel like the yeah, we can get rid of the baggage of the penal substitutionary atonement, sound doctrine, the authority of scripture, the man's fall into sin, 
Christ's death on the cross for us. Since we can get rid of all of that baggage. And, oh, and the idea that Christianity is, you know, and that Jesus Christ is the only way. Yeah, we can get rid of that, too. <laughs> yeah, we can get rid of all that baggage. Thanks to the emergence in their brand new way of thinking about truth. That, that you know, you, can, you don't have to believe in the logical law of non-contradiction. And uh, you can hold basically any view you want. And it's true. Lord may be inviting us to a powerful presence and a prophetic voice of the sort that we haven't enjoyed for for decades, perhaps. Do you think that? If if we start to believe that what we could gain by coming together would be greater than some of that baggage we'd have to leave behind, boy, that that makes the moment. So. And, uh, Okay, so let me see if, if we can get rid of the baggage of sound doctrine, the authority of Scripture, the uh, the you know uh, total depravity, the fall into sin, uh, Christ, uh, the, uh, Christ's penal substitutionary atonement on the cross. I talked about that. So if we can get rid of all of that, then the thing that we're going to gain by going to the Big Ten is going to be greater than all that stuff that we're giving up. Yeah, I'm going to keep all those biblical treasures because what you're saying that we're going to gain basically sounds like you're selling me magic beans. I'll tell you, just speaking personally, I feel like I have so much to gain. So I would love for Raleigh, North Carolina, to be the place where we can see this beginning to be manifested. And you and I are are, um, exploring visions to watch this thing grow across all 50 states and and beyond. Exploring visions. Yeah, I told you, these guys sound a lot like Patricia King and Todd Bentley. It would be fantastic this September to see a huge outpouring of folks from all the different sides of the church gathering together symbolically to proclaim the big church of Jesus Christ. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that, um, mm-hmm, yeah, I just have to go with what the scriptures tell us to do with heretics. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My uh, email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Uh, when we get back, sermon review time. Closest thing to. Uh, Midget Cannon Expansion Pack. It's uh, part of the sermon. It's going to be preached by Tino Walenda of the Flying Walendas. Stay tuned. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk to you about auto insurance. As the father of two teenage drivers, I know how expensive auto insurance can be. 
But as expensive as auto insurance is, it's nothing compared to the cost of not having it when you need it. That's why I'm excited to have Allstate Insurance as one of Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertisers. Did you know that drivers who switched to Allstate saved an average of $396 per year compared to what they were paying other companies? Now, I don't know about you, but I think $396 is a lot of money in these tough economic times. Why don't you give Allstate a call and see how much they can save you? You can reach them toll-free at 877-246-1511. Again, that's 877-246-1511. The good folks at Allstate will be happy to give you a free quote over the phone. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Time for the sermon review today. I've warned you ahead of time. In fact, I've been saying for a while, I I can't even parody the church anymore because the church parodies itself. No sooner do I come up with something that I think is so absurd, so ridiculous, that no pastor would dare come up with it. Uh, No sooner do I do that, but then I'm proven wrong. Let's cue up the sermon music here. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Carrie Shook and the Fellowship of the Woodlands in uh, the northern part of Houston down there in Texas. And uh, this sermon is a tag team effort between Carrie Shook and Tino Walenda of the Flying Walendas, a tight rope walking family. And the name of the sermon is Courage and Fear. I mean, and who better qualified to talk about courage and fear than Tina Walenda of the Flying Walendas? You know, because it sure does take a lot of courage and you have to overcome a lot of fear if you're going to tightrope walk between two buildings without a net or, you know, let me kill the music. 
All right. So uh, without any further ado, here is um, Carrie Shook and uh, Tino Walenda of the Flying Walendas, Courage and Fear. One of my biggest fears is the fear of heights. Now, when my family goes to an amusement park, I like to ride the roller coasters that go at breakneck speeds. I mean, the fast rides don't really bother me much. They go so fast, I don't have time to look down. It's the slow rides that go really high that bother me. I mean, the ride that strikes fear into my heart is the dreaded Ferris wheel. It's true. One time my family was on one of those giant Ferris wheels where the compartment was big enough for our whole family and it got right to the very top and it stopped abruptly and swayed back and forth. And I was looking down and kind of freaking out, but I was trying to hold it in and not show any fear. You don't want to show fear on a Ferris wheel. But kids can smell fear. And one of my kids just sensed it and he said, Dad, you look like you're scared. I think dad's afraid. I think dad's scared. I I think he's really afraid, you guys. Hey, let's rock it. (laughs) They started rocking and we were just going back and forth, just these huge swings. And I was going, guys, cut it out. Don't you know this thing is held together by just a little bolt that's probably rusted? Don't you understand? I was trying to talk some sense into them. And I looked over to my wife to help me with another voice of reason. And she was rocking as hard as she could. just laughing at me. Before you laugh too much at my fear of Ferris wheels, let's be honest. We all have unfounded fears. In fact, the number one most common fear that people experience is the fear of public speaking. It's just ahead of the fear of dying. So that means for most of you, if I were to come up to you and say, I need you next weekend to stand on this stage and stand in front of thousands of people, and preach the message for me, you would probably rather get hit by a train. I know there are a few of you out there that would say, finally, it's about time you asked me to preach. I've got a lot I need to say. You scare me. okay? And hopefully there's not that many of you. No one is exempt from fear. In fact, studies show that the more intelligent you are, the more fears you have. So if you're sitting out there today and you're feeling totally carefree and no worry in the world, it may not be because you're so spiritual. You just may not be the brightest bulb in the bunch. That may be the whole deal there. So before you pat yourself on the back. Yeah, maybe that's why, you know, in the movie The Lion King, the, the, you know, the, the, the characters that sang Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata. They seem kind of stupid. Sorry, did I say that out loud? It seems like today we have a lot to be afraid of. From the sick economy to the swine flu. From the threat of terrorism to the threat of layoffs. It just seems like there's a lot to be fearful of. And it seems like at times we're out on a tightrope in life, looking down from dizzying heights with no net below, just filled with fear. Well, today I want us to look at a guy in the Bible who intentionally stepped out onto a tightrope. And he found himself where we often find ourselves, caught in the tension between courage and fear. So would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14? Okay, now, this is the first appearance of God's Word. And, you know, to his credit, Carrie Shook has people stand in honor of God's Word when he reads it. 
Here's the problem with how he's going to handle the text. First, he's going to handle it allegorically. Second, he's going to handle it therapeutically. And third, he's going to focus the text on you overcoming fear and having courage rather than what the text focuses us and our attention on, that being Jesus Christ. And so he's going to mishandle God's word by handling it allegorically and therapeutically, and he's going to miss the whole point of the text by focusing it on you rather than what the text focuses you on when you read it in context. And rather than tell you that, I'm going to read it for you in just a minute. I want you to see, first of all, I want you to hear him see. How do you see things in radio? I need to work on what I say here. Anyway, I want you to hear how he uses the text. I want you to hear him read it. I want you to hear how he uses it. And then I'm going to point you to the thing that he misses. So if you want to go ahead and... uh, Get your Bible ready and follow along. It's Matthew chapter 14, and I think he's going to start around uh, verse 22 is where he's going to start. And uh, so here is uh, how Kerry Shook is mishandling God's word. Here's his mishandling of this text. And would you stand in honor of God's word? Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind... And the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples... Okay, that's kind of a key point. You have so little faith, why did you doubt me, Jesus said. That's really what's going on here in the text. The text really is to focus you on Christ. He's going to miss the punchline, though, and completely misapply the text. So stay tuned. Hold on. Worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. The disciples were out on a fishing boat in the Sea of Galilee when a huge storm comes up and they're filled with fear. Now, you have to understand this was not an ordinary storm on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples were expert fishermen. They were seasoned sailors. So they were used to storms on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Storms didn't frighten them a bit, but this was an unusual storm. This was a perfect storm. First, they experienced a loss of security. A loss of security. It says that a loss of security. Would Linus's blanket would have helped at this point? I'm just wondering. The disciples were in trouble far away from land. So when the storm came up, there was no place for them to go for safety. They were far from land. They had lost their security. And it's interesting, in the passage before, Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat and go across to the other side. And Christ knows everything, so he knew they were going to head right into a storm. That shows me that sometimes storms are God's plan for my life. Sometimes a loss of security is part of God's plan for my life. For when all those things that I trust in are taken away, then I can find my security and my trust. And the only one who never changes and is never taken away. But a loss of security, it fills us with fear. But then they also experienced a loss of stability. 
It says in verse 24, For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. The boat was rocked by wind and waves. They had no stability, no firm place to stand. And when we lose stability, we're filled with fear. Uh, so the this, notice how he's therapeutic. This is just a therapeutic way of reading this text. They lost security, and they lost their stability. <laughs> I'm scared by this story. And maybe today, your life is being rocked by the winds of change, or wave after wave of problems, and you've lost stability feels like there's no firm place to stand anymore. You've lost your confidence and you're filled with fear. And Peter's a great example here of living in that tension between courage and fear and being pulled from both directions at once. And that's where we live. That's where we live in that tension between courage and fear. So what did he do? First, he moved forward in faith. I need to move forward in faith. We always criticize Peter. Faith in what faith in whom you can't just say faith you just we just need to move forward in faith faith in whom faith in what what's the object of your faith faith always has an object faith in yourself faith that things are just going to be handy dandy right around the corner faith that the sun will come out tomorrow the sun will come out tomorrow bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow <clears throat> we continue Peter for taking his eyes off Christ and sinking. But at least he got out of the boat. I think we need to give him credit, don't you? He, got, he was the only one that got out of the boat. The other 11 stayed in the boat. And I have to admit, I probably wouldn't have got out of that boat. Would you have gotten out of the boat? I don't think so. I mean, I would have thought, I, you know, our boat's getting battered by the wind and the waves. And we're just about to sink. We're probably going under. Probably just about to die. But there's no way... I'm I'm stepping out there onto that water. I'll stay in the boat and take my chances. But Peter, he steps out of the boat. And this describes it in verse 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Well, Peter was filled. I have no idea if I would have gotten out of the boat. Sorry about that. A little technical difficulties getting my computer to stop. But, um, yeah, no idea whether or not I would have gotten out of the boat. And really, that's kind of not the point of the text at all. Now, this is the time where I'm going to have you open your Bibles, and I want you to see uh, what Carrie Shook is missing here and how he's misusing this text by basically somehow using this as a text to somehow allegorically and therapeutically focus you on yourself. And apparently you're you, maybe you have a fear problem. Maybe maybe you just are fearful when, you know, when you have lack of stability and lack of security. And, you know, and, and see, this text offers you some kind of hope when you have lack of stability and lack of, you know, <clears throat> lack of biblical integrity when it comes to a pastor. Now, is this text about you overcoming fear and having courage and living in the tension between fear and courage? No. This text is not about that at all, and I'll prove it. Okay, Matthew 14, we begin at verse 22. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went on up to the mountain by himself to pray. 
When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, so the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. They were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So the question comes up, why did you doubt, O you of little faith? Doubt whom? Doubt what? Doubt Jesus Christ. Have faith in him. And the text ends with it saying that they, this is verse 33, those in the boat worshipped Jesus saying, truly you are the son of God. This isn't about you overcoming fear in your life. This story is about Jesus being God, the one true God, the Son of God, come to earth for you. And it's commanding you and prodding you and showing you to have faith and trust in him and not to doubt him. See, even if the apostles had all died, Jesus' purposes would have been accomplished. And the reality is, is now the apostles are all dead. All but one of them died a terrible martyr's death. So the same Jesus who saved them from catastrophe on the Sea of Galilee that night didn't prevent catastrophe from happening to them. And that's why the uh, Hebrews 11 passage, the tail end of it, the, that by faith they were sawn in two, by faith they were scourged, by faith they were beaten. Mm-hmm. You can trust Jesus even with your death. Don't doubt. Keep your eyes fixed on him. This text admonishes us, beckons us, shows us to have our eyes set on Jesus and to have faith in him and don't doubt. Let's see what Carrie Shook does with it. And uh, Tino uh, Walenda of the Flying Walenda is soon to appear here. Filled with fear, but he moved forward in faith. See, fear is not necessarily a sin. Sometimes it's the most appropriate emotion you can have. It's a natural reaction to uh, danger. And so we need to have some fear in our lives at times when we're experiencing danger. Fear is uh, what causes you to run from a fire. It's a natural reaction. So you can't control the emotion of fear, but it's a sin to let the fear dominate you. Really, where in the Bible does it say it's a sin to let fear dominate us? Where does it say that? It's a sin to... I mean, which of the Ten Commandments point that out? Seriously. Give in to the fear. It's a sin to let the fear control you. 
You see, I can't control my emotions. Sometimes I'm just filled with fear. But I can keep moving ahead in spite of the fears. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving ahead in spite of my fears. I can't control my feelings, but I can control my actions. And a lot of people are waiting to feel courageous before they act courageous. They're waiting to feel full of faith before they step out in faith. And you have to step out in spite of your fears. Well, then there's a second thing I need to do, and that's focus on Christ's love. Peter stepped forward in faith, even though he was filled with fear. But then I have to focus on Christ's love. In verse 30, it says, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Peter looked in the eyes of Christ and he walked on the water. But when he took his eyes off Christ onto the wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. So I need to focus not on the wave of problems that's coming into my life, but I focus on the love of Christ because he loves me too much to let me sink. Some of you feel like you're going under today. Maybe you're sinking in debt. Uh, maybe you're sinking. Um, again, uh, fo- it's focusing in on Christ. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that God loves us too much to not let us sink. I've read passages today from Hebrews 11, from uh, Revelation chapter 13, which basically talk about uh, Christians dying some pretty terrible deaths, experiencing some terrible things. And from the human point of view, that would be sinking, you know, the, the beast waging war against the saints and winning for a time. Yeah. Um, so I, um, Carrie, number one, I don't, where in the scripture do we draw this hard line that apparently giving in to fear is a sin? And second, where does it that say that Jesus' love is so great for us that he would never let us sink? <sighs> you know, I, you know, I, these people are making promise, you know, basically making promises from God that God has not promised. Never let us sink. He, I got to go back to Hebrews 11 because the text itself uh, said it so clearly. Uh, By faith, others suffered, verse 36, mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonments. And they were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed with the sword. And they went about in skins of sheep's goats, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. Um. How does that scripture reconcile with this promise that you made that Jesus is love? He has so much love for you that he'd never let you sink. Where we promise this in the Bible? I see what I see promised to us in scripture by Christ is suffering, persecution, mockery, beatings. That's what I see promised. Well, let's continue. Maybe maybe uh, Tim Walenda, the Flying Walendas, uh, Tino Walenda from the Flying Walendas will uh, clear this up. Maybe he can handle the Bible better than Carrie. Sinking into a depression. And maybe you're sinking into an ocean of fear and just feeling overwhelmed by fear. Just know this. He's not going to let you drown. He loves you too much to let you sink. And if I focus on Christ's love instead of all the waves that are around me, then he'll fill me with his peace and courage. But when I focus on the wave after wave of problem that's coming into my life and battering my boat, I'm going to be filled with fear. It's all about focus. And if I just understand a little bit of how much God loves me, I'll understand he loves me too much to let me sink. He loves you too much to let you go under. And some of you feel like you're going under for the last time. 
He loves you too much. The God who died for you, don't you think if He loved you enough to die for you, that He loves you too much to let you drown? Uh, in what way? I mean, you're using debt or losing my job, you know, basically earthly, earthly circumstances. Christ died for my sins. And he's promised me suffering and persecution this side of his return, this side of my death, this side of the resurrection. The Bible doesn't promise health, wealth, happiness. Uh, I mean, when, when you read the parable, when Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man who doesn't even have a name, uh, you know, how wealthy he was and how Lazarus was this poor, basically shipwreck of a human being you know he had sores and the dogs licked his sores i mean just disgusting and gross and the big shocker is that lazarus the guy who seemed blessed in this lifetime who had everything um he goes to hell and uh, the rich man goes to hell and lazarus the poor guy the destitute guy the guy who has nothing who from the world's point of view has pretty much gone down with the ship. And, you know, when he finally dies, he had faith and trust in Christ, and he goes to heaven. D does the Christianity you preach make it so that it, people understand how Lazarus, the one who was completely poor, destitute, and sick with sores and oozing pus and all that kind of stuff was the one who goes to heaven. If your Christianity can't explain that, then you ain't preaching Christianity. He's not going to let you go under. Romans 8.38 is your homework assignment. I want you to memorize this passage this week. It says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. It's powerful, isn't it? I want you to underline the phrase, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Maybe you're feeling fearful right now. Your fears for today, your worries for tomorrow won't separate you from Christ's love. He loves you too much to let you go under. And if I can focus on how much God loves me, it's not that you need to love God more. It's you need to understand how much God loves you. He loves you too much to let you go under. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And when you're faced with a perfect storm, what you need is perfect love. And that only comes from God. I don't have perfect faith. I'm faithless many times. But the scripture says even when I am faithless, he is faithful. It's not about my perfect faith. It's not about my perfect courage. It's about his perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus Christ, it says, grabbed him and pulled him out. So I don't even think Peter was able to reach up. He was going under so fast, he was sinking like a rock. And Jesus just reached down and grabbed him. So even when I don't have the strength to reach up, he grabs me when I cry out to him. Sometimes we're so filled with fear and we're sinking fast, all we can do is cry out to God. And if that's all you can do today is in your heart cry out to God, the good news is He hears you and He rescues you. Hey, I'm going to now turn the message over to someone really special that I am uh, so grateful he's here today. Tino Walinda is going to preach the second half of the message. Tino is also a member of the world's greatest tightrope walking family, the Flying Walindas. And Tino is here right now to share with us 
about what it means to walk the tightrope between courage and fear. Give a warm Woodlands welcome to Tino Walenda. Giving a salute here to uh, Tino Walenda to preach the second half of the sermon from the Flying Walendas. Let's, uh, here's Tina Willenda. For me, when I was only seven years old, that is when my grandfather, Carl Willenda, probably the best-known tightrope walker of modern times, put me on a wire for the very first time. And on that wire was not even this high off the ground. It was only about the height of a regular kitchen table. But he taught me the elementary skills of tightrope walking. Things like how to hold this balancing pole. Things like how to place my feet on the wire. Uh, he's demonstrating this uh, in the sanctuary on a tightrope while preaching. But the most important thing that I learned from my grandfather about keeping my balance on the tightrope was that I needed to keep my eyes on a fixed and an unmoving point at the far end of the wire which happens to be where this cable meets those two pipes at the far end. That is how I maintain my balance. I've been doing this for over 50 years now. And with that time and that experience, I do have the ability to look around to talk to you face to face. But invariably, if this equipment is not as sturdy as I hope it is, or if I lose my balance for any reason whatsoever, my vision will instinctively and immediately return to that point at the far end of this wire so that I can regain my balance. Once this all becomes pretty much second nature to me, and what I mean by that is I can do it not in my sleep, but pretty much under any circumstances, then and only then did I take my first few steps on that tightrope. After that, you move up to some simple little feats, like what we call a salute. Now, another simple little feet that we might learn very early on would be a knee-down salute. And then after that, you'd learn to go to do a, a few things that are a little bit more up in scale. Things like possibly shifting directions. Yeah, let's hear it for uh, Tina Walenda right there. He switched directions on the tightrope in church. <laughs> what a feat. You know, though, I learned very early on that I couldn't pay my bills or support my family by simply walking back and forth on a tightrope and doing some simple salutes. So I really had to put myself into my craft to practice and rehearse countless hours. So I could move up to doing some things much bigger, much better, 
things like standing on my head. Woohoo! He's wow, right. The Tino Walendo, the Flying Walendos, is standing on his head on a tightrope in church. Ouch. The more time that goes by, the more stars I see doing that particular trick. You know, it might interest you to know that my rehearsals from the age of seven until I was 12 or 13 is what it took until I could actually make my first few steps on a regular tightrope, which was 30, 35 feet in the air. And then my family made me wait another five years till I was 17 or 18 before I actually became a member of the Walenda Troop. But since that's been so long ago, I've discovered that every once in a while I get out of breath, as you can probably hear at the moment. And when that happens, I find the best way to catch my breath is just to take a moment. So I'm going to place my trusty stool on the tightrope here. And once I get in position, I'm going to join you all and just kind of kick back and chill for a minute. There you go. Uh, Tina Walenda, the flying Walenda, sitting on a stool on a tightrope in church. But while I'm chilling, let me tell you how that little lesson that my grandfather taught me so long ago has been invaluable to me. That lesson about focusing on an unmoving point, on a goal in life. You see, as a tightrope walker, I've had innumerable upsets on the wire. Times that I've fallen. Well, I found that, by the way, I've never fallen to the ground. I've always been able to catch myself. But even so, that wire is very hard and very unforgiving. And I find that one thing always holds true every time I've ever fallen. It always hurts. There's never been a time that it hasn't hurt. But my grandfather was a man of great integrity. My grandfather lived by that standard of the motto that you've often heard. That is the circus analogy. It just says that the show must go on. Now, to me as a performer, that's something that's a lot more significant than something I could just spit out of my mouth. Now, you see, it goes down to my very heart and soul. It talks about life itself. Because in life you discover that even though there's some things that I'd love to go back and redo, life doesn't afford me that privilege. Sometimes I just like for time to sit still and stop, and life won't do that either. Life just has a way of continuing on. And so when I've been hanging there in anguish and in pain and thinking, what do I do next? I'm sure you agree with me that the most foolish thing I could do would be just to open my fingers and let go. No, you see, the only way of life is to go forward. And so whenever I found myself in that kind of a situation, I realized that the only thing that I can do is get myself back up on that tightrope, get focused on that point, and continue on. Now, that is a lesson for life itself because I found that if I'll focus in on a goal in my life, if I'll persevere, if I won't give up, 
if I'll be unrelenting. Focusing on a goal. Um, what about focusing in on Christ? Remember, Peter sunk when he took his eyes off of Christ. Please tell me, Tino Walenda of the Flying Walendas, that uh, that despite all your trickery and your performance and the show must and the show that you're giving people here, that you're going to tell us to focus in on Christ. Please, please, please be the, that not just a goal in life, but that we need to focus in on Christ. Oh, please, 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 please. I, I'm I'm crossing my fingers here. I I hope you don't fall off. Uh, yeah, well, if I'll just hang in there, if I won't give up in the last moment, you know what I found? I've found that I can accomplish absolutely the impossible in life. That was Tina Walenda, the Flying Walenda, is giving us a nice little smarmy uh, soundbite that we can apply to our own lives. If we just focus on the goal, we can accomplish almost the impossible in life. See, this is so not biblical. By the way, uh, the Flying Walendas are nowhere mentioned in the Bible. Just want to make sure that you knew that. Uh, Let's continue. I know that's a lesson not just for me. That's a lesson for everybody. If you'll just focus in on a goal in life, if you'll persevere, if you don't give up, you can accomplish absolutely the impossible. And by the way, I need to tell you that my primary focus in life is Jesus Christ. Okay, good. This is good. I'm glad to hear that Jesus is your primary focus in life. What does that mean? When you say that, I mean, uh, is he a goal that helps you accomplish almost the impossible in your life? What did Jesus do for you? Now, there's a verse in the Bible, Hebrews 12, 2. It says that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. You see, he wrote it. He's the author of it. But not only that, he also perfected it. He also lived it. But I just wonder, since Pastor Kerry initiated this entire series. (laughs) So we got just a little crumb, a fleck of something about Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. But now let's on to bigger and better things. Let's have Carrie Shook get on the tightrope tight rope with uh, Tina Walenda of the Flying Walendas. We would have Pastor Carrie come up. I mean, does that count as a gospel nugget? I mean, I mean, it, when he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, hello. Um, hello. And he's going to demonstrate everything he's been talking about for the last four weeks. Okay, well, I'm, I'm ready, Tino. Right, I'm ready. If you'll come right back here, and um, if you'll just follow me right up 
You did say that, that, that one looks better. Yeah, you did say that <laughs> heights do bother you, right? Yeah, they well, do. So how high is this? Well, this is about a foot and a half or two feet. Yeah, off that's the gonna ground. bother me. That's gonna bother me. Yeah. I brought this as I brought this as a second. But okay. When you get up here, though, uh-huh. I want you to promise me something. I need you to promise me that you won't do any kind of fancy dance moves. And above all else, that you won't do any kind of fancy jumps. Wow. Because, because you... Uh, again, folks, that was Tina Walenda of the Fly- Flying Walendas. You see, I don't want to be shown up in front of your audience here. No worries, Tino, because my second greatest fear is the fear of dancing. So I don't think... You can ask my wife. That's my second greatest fear, too. (laughs) Um, All right. Uh, Since you're such a good sport, I'll tell you what. I'm going to stand off to the side here, and if you have a little bit of a problem, I want you to know that my arm's going to be extended. If you need a little bit of help with your balance, all you need to do is reach over, grab my arm, my hand, maybe even my little finger. That might... uh, give you the support you need, all right? Okay, okay, so you're there for me. I'm there for you. I can't even get up on this thing. <laughs> no. Okay. What do you call this move? Uh, that's called uh, pastoral apprehension. Pastoral apprehension, that seems like I need to be medicated for that, Tino. I don't know, that's... Uh... <laughs> okay, here that's we go. between you and your counselor. <laughs> okay, here we go. Are well, you doing good? <laughs> I look good for about a half a second. Would you say that maybe I'm a master of the tightrope? Definitely. A master, right. How about Definitely. you all? Would you say Definitely that I'm a master, master of the tightrope? Definitely. Again, folks, that is uh, Tina Walenda of the Flying Walendas. All right, well, I'm going to have you step up there. And what we're going to do is, I am going to take the balancing pole, and I am going to get in front of you. Now, there's no magical uh, things in this balancing pole. It's just a a piece of pipe that you have to learn how to work and balance with. And I am going to literally become your balance. So you need to put your hands on my shoulders. And what you need to know is, the more that you depend on me for your balance the easier it's going to be. The more you try to balance for yourself, the more difficult it'll be. You got that? I got it, Tino. Okay, also, the closer you can stay to me, the easier it's going to be. Now, I'm going to take a step, and I want you to step right up there on the pipe. Okay. Now, remember to depend on me for your balance. You got both feet up? No, I do. Good. All right, now, this pipe is very short. This is a piece of cake. We're going to take one step after another. Okay. And even though you do trust me, there's a little bit of rattling back there, and I realize you don't trust me 100%, <laughs> which makes me think that it's a little bit like Peter stepping out, in the, out of the boat. But anyway... Let me see you, if I can do a trick. <laughs> that was pathetic. Well, you know what? The waves are starting to mount at the moment, so I'm going to ask you to step down. <laughs> Woo. Thank Go you. ahead and step right down. And I'm going to hand off my pole. 
Very good. Now, let me ask you this question. Was it easier for you to do it by yourself or easier when you were trusting in me? Oh, so much easier when I was trusting you. It looks easy. Right when you get on it, you feel like, oh, I can do this. And all of a sudden, you lose your balance just a little bit, and there's no way to get it back. Uh, When you get up there and try to do it yourself, uh, you're doing it your own way. And we all like to do things our own way. I like to do things my own way as well, but I find that when I do things my own way, usually ends up in a big disaster. But I also find that when I can trust in the master of life to take me across the way that Pastor Kerry trusted in the master of the tightrope, and of course the master of life is Jesus Christ, when I trust in him to take me from one end of life to the other, it may be a little bit shaky once in a while. There may even be times that I want to take back control, and that's where I get off balance. But I find that as I surrender my control and my balance back to the master of life, He does give me the ability to make it all the way from one end of life to the end. That was, uh, folks, that was uh, Tina Walenda of the um, Flying Walendas. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure it was a great show. I'm sure it was a good performance. But it was a lousy sermon. And the problem is, is that despite its best efforts at focusing our attention on Christ and focusing our faith on Christ, all of those efforts really just turned out to be nothing more than kind of passing platitudes so they can get onto the important thing, getting past her on the tightrope, you know, because you know how entertaining and cool that would be. Folks, have we lost the understanding of the difference between the sacred and the profane, between the holy and the common? You read in Leviticus, it talks about the difference between the sacred and the profane, the holy and the common. When we come to church, we come to church to do holy things, not common things. To hear the holy word of God to hear holy Christian doctrine preached and proclaimed, to hear the holy gospel of Christ and him crucified for our sins, to hear the holy forgiveness of our sins. And when we turn it into a common and profane circus show or circus sideshow, that's what it is. It's just profane. You can go to the circus some other time, some other place. That's not what church is for. Go to the circus. Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey, they do a fantastic job. Or Cirque du Soleil. Go go and watch them. It's entertaining. They do a fine job at entertaining. But don't bring it into church. We have holy, holy work to be done to feast on holy things, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, to hear his sacred word, to hear the gospel for us, and to hear announced to us the forgiveness of our sins. Leave the circus outside the church. Trust me, the guys who run the circus They'd never let you come and do 
a church liturgy during the circus. Why on earth should we do a circus during a holy time? Something to think about. Sad, just sad. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous financial gifts and contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. You can support us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew. The other says donate. And uh, when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute a mere $6.95 a month to uh, Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. And it supports us and makes it so we can pay our bills. You know, know, that's kind of important because we don't have the ability to go into the red and to operate, you know, in a debt circumstance. We just don't have that ability. So we thank you for those of you who've contributed above and beyond the $6.95 and made it possible for us to meet our operating expenses over the last few months. And if you would like to uh, specify the amount that you would like to give above and beyond $6.95, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, would love to get your feedback. You can send me your feedback. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>